following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. Would you please welcome four-star general, Vincent Brooks. All right, thanks, brothers. Please be seated. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thanks. Uh, I'm so excited about being in a group of men on a Friday night. There's other things we could be doing, but we're in the house of the Lord. And we're spending time in fellowship with one another. And what a blessing it is to be a part of that. So uh, forgive my voice. It's a little bit raspy today. I think there's some dust or something in the air out there. And it's uh, taking away my singing voice a little bit. And thankfully, we were praising the Lord nice and loudly tonight. So you didn't have to hear me as I was off key. But I was making a joyful noise. And I'm glad you were, too. Uh, I want to just thank Pastor Rex. Thanks so much for inviting me to do this. I really appreciate it. Pastor Brad, thank you so much as well as Pastor Brad helped prepare me for uh, this evening's events. I knew it was going to be a lot of fun. I just enjoy their ministry. And it's a collective ministry team, without a doubt. Pastor Phil also inside of here and all the, the praise and worship teams. What a joy it is to be part of such a fellowship as Christian Life Austin. Don't you agree? How about give me a round of applause? Now, the pastor usually gets about 30 minutes to do his sermons during our order of worship. And they were kind enough to give me 60 minutes tonight. Now, that, that just proves the fact that I'm not half the preacher that he is. So it's going to take me twice as long to get the work done. But I hope you'll bear with me as I uh, just share a word with you tonight on what's on my heart. Pastor Brad told me to just share some of your story. Share what it is that's on your heart. Whatever it is you want a group of men, a group of fellow believers to hear. And thanks, Pastor Brad, for the latitude to do that. I don't know how long it'll take. I, I don't think it'll be an hour. But I do know that there are pieces of food and axes that are waiting for us after I finish speaking. And so I want to be very careful about that. Now, I'll tell you, standing before you, I'm taken back to 1969. I was in sixth grade then. Some of y'all were were not around, but there were some standing people who uh, definitely were around then. And uh, at my elementary school, we were doing a play, The Wizard of Oz. And I was chosen to be the Cowardly Lion. Now, I was a little bit of a ham, I have to admit that. I was a ham in class. I was always trying to get attention. But inside, actually, I was gripped with fear and a lack of confidence. And as a result, when it came time to the performance, I was sick every day. Throwing up, loose bowels. It's like that Pepto-Bismol commercial. <laughs> Nausea, heartburn, diarrhea, upset stomach, indigestion, all that stuff. I had all that going on. I still did it. But I wanted it to be over as soon as possible. So I hope that by the end of tonight, you don't feel that way. <laughs> but I'll tell you, I don't tonight. And uh, there, there are reasons for that that I'm going to talk about. So what I, what I thought I would do tonight, you know, with all these years of military service, I thought I'd tell you some war stories. I'm going to talk some war stories tonight. Now, there are veterans in this room, but what I'm going to tell you about is not the kind of war story you might be expecting from me as a general. I'm going to talk about some battles that I have fought in the realm of spiritual warfare. And on that, I believe that everyone in this room, all of you men in the room, you're all veterans. Because you're believers, or you wouldn't be here tonight. And for you to be a believer means you have been assaulted several times in your life. And so I just want to talk a little bit about spiritual warfare and see if I can leave something with you that might connect to you and your experience or to meet you where you are tonight. Can we do that? Yeah. All right. Amen. Stay with me on this. So I'll start in 1978. I was at the United States Army Ranger School, so I'm an Army Ranger. I got to do that at a very early age, even while I was still a cadet at West Point. Usually you do that after you've gone out into the military. A few of us were chosen to do this while we were yet young. And it's the Army's toughest leadership course. Everything was going well. I'd been well prepared for it. My brother had done the same thing the year before as a cadet at West Point. And in many ways, I was still following in his footsteps. 
Ranger school was going good. Now, if you're familiar with it, you know that it's really three weeks. Uh, I'm sorry, three phases uh, lasting a total of about 58 days. But when cadets go through, they add another 12 days onto it. So you get a little extra time down there with the cadre in the sands of Fort Benning. In the class, there's a, there's a leadership structure. Somebody is always in charge. And so they pick one of the students and make him the student company commander. That's the person leading all the rest of the students. And usually that would last for two or three days, and then they'd find themselves doing some push-ups. By the way, the push-up contest was pretty impressive tonight. I have to say that. I'm retired now, so that's why I didn't come up on stage with you. So I enjoyed watching your push-ups and living vicariously through your strength. But we did a lot of push-ups then in Ranger School, and uh, the way we used to do them was with our feet elevated against a tree or against the wall. And so it was part of just getting your attention. And usually the student company commander spent a lot of time in that position with the feet elevated, and then they'd be out. A couple days later, it'd be replaced by somebody else. A couple days later, someone else. A couple days later, someone else. Well, about the fourth iteration of that, I was chosen to be the student company commander. Okay, here we go. And I gave him my best shot. Weeks later, I was still the student company commander. I felt really good about that, you know, that I hadn't been put in and taken out. I, I would still be in the course, but I was also now standing before my peers as a leader in the Army's toughest leadership course. And my head started getting a little bit big, to be honest with you. It was going really well. Somebody made the mistake of telling me at that age, I was only 19 when this happened, they said, you're on your way to become the distinguished honor graduate. That's the top graduate in the course in the Army's toughest leadership school. And I believed him. And then, and then, things changed. So suddenly now, I was hanging on for dear life in the course. I'd gotten crosswise with one of the instructors. We're in the second phase. The first one happens in Georgia. The second one happens in the, uh, right out on the Tennessee Valley Divide in some mountains, nice and brutal terrain. The third part is in Florida. And I had been the student company commander through the first two phases and was heading to Florida, at least I thought, until I got called into the cadre office one day and they said, Ranger Brooks, we're not sure we're going to send you on to Florida. In fact, you may not complete the course. And I was devastated, absolutely devastated. It's something I really wanted to do. And I couldn't stand the embarrassment of, of failing and going from such a pinnacle to being so low. My humility wasn't sufficient at that time. I later discovered. That's what happens when you get a big head. I had opened the door to a spiritual attack, and it showed up. But here's how, here's how God works. And I'm going to talk a lot about how God worked in my life, and he's probably done the same in yours. As I went back to the hut, after leaving the cadre office, I was crying like a child. It was the first time I'd cried like that as a young adult, openly bawling inside of this hut. I was in there by myself. I just couldn't contain myself because of the embarrassment of the, or the, the sense of failure. And through the door, I didn't expect anyone to come through the door, came a West Point classmate, a guy named Brett. Now you're going to hear Brett's name again. So, Brett came through the door and gave me encouragement, told me he was with me, that they'd support me as well as they could in the course for as long as I was going. And then he and two others joined and we prayed. So just when I thought I'd been brought low, God brought someone to bring me right back up. In the room they came and we prayed together. So our brothers joined together, stood in the gap for me. I made it through the course. I was honored to be a ranger, but I also learned, and I was grateful to God that he showed that lesson to me, that he who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. We hear this all over the scriptures. This is one of the most oft-repeated passages that's in the Bible. We see it in Proverbs 29. 
We see it again in Luke 14, again in Luke 18, in James 4, in 1 Peter chapter, uh, verse 5. How many times do we have to hear this before we believe that it's true? He who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Thanks to that lesson I had then, God was able to exalt me many times thereafter along my career journey. I was also so grateful that I had that, that reassurance, that promise that comes in Romans chapter 8, verse 31. If God be for us, who can be against us? And the answer is no one. Not even Satan can stand against you when God is for you. What reassurance. God is always with us in the midst of trials and tribulations or any other nasty thing that Satan can do to you. Anytime that you're in the midst of that, just look around for the angels that you put in your life. If you're lost, just reach out to him at that point in time. And remember his loving kindness, his goodness and his mercy. So I took those experiences to heart. About a year later, I was exalted again. This time I was put into that position at West Point as the cadet brigade commander or first captain and had the privilege of making history in an already historic class. It was the class, the first class that had women in it. And it was the first year that women were in all four classes of the military academy. And I was now the cadet leader for that. I had plenty of reasons to not be humble, but I learned some pretty hard lessons the year before. And my humility then became my watchword. I wanted to be a humble leader. And in doing so, God exalted me, not only that year, but every year thereafter, many times thereafter. Let me fast forward 21 years. It's now 2001. I'm an Army colonel serving in brigade command. So that means I had about 4,000 troops that were underneath of my authority. And we were called to deploy to Kosovo. We were the only unit of that size, only combat unit of that size in the United States to be sent to Kosovo in the midst of a pretty nasty crisis. It had really erupted in 1999, and the U.S. involvement happened later that, that summer. But it was a horrible circumstance, very interesting environment. We saw both random and targeted acts of violence and murder some of that was political retribution. Some of that was ethno-sectarian conflict. Some of it was just settling scores. We saw home destructions. People's houses would just get blown up. And they would try to rebuild and they'd get blown up again. Illicit weapons transfers were happening there. Destabilization of governments in the surrounding countries. All this was ongoing. And we were put inside of that to step on it to douse the fire, if you will, and to try to turn it back around. We were in the business now of restoring and repairing and rebuilding and protecting those who were affected by all that Satan had unleashed in that place. And I remember one afternoon, it was a cool day. I was out on a hillside in a village. It was just up in this valley not too far from the eastern border of Kosovo where it meets Serbia. And this particular village had ethnic Serbs and ethnic Albanians. Ethnic Serbs were Christian, ethnic Albanians were Muslim. The ethnic Albanians were the majority population elsewhere in the country, but in this area, it was balanced. And they had always lived in harmony in this village. But the winds of evil had come through over the preceding years. First, the ethnic Serbs were displaced by Serbian extremists who destroyed the houses of the ethnic Albanians and ran them off. And then the ethnic Albanian extremists, in some cases supported by U.S. firepower, ended up going back through the village and destroyed every ethnic Serb house. All of the houses in this village were destroyed, every single one of them. A place where there had been harmony was now in destruction. And I was in the midst of trying to help them come back. We actually found the displaced villagers from both sides, brought them back, provided them protection, and provided them the resources to rebuild their homes. And they built it together, neighbor to neighbor. And it was succeeding. Well, on that afternoon, 
It was about 2.45 in the afternoon on the 11th of September. About that same time it was 8.45 in New York, in Washington. And my aide got a phone call, a satellite phone call from the operations center saying that a plane had just hit the World Trade Center. So there we were trying to repair what Satan had done. And the evil one attacked somewhere else. A new front in spiritual warfare had just opened. And I would spend the next 17 years trying to fight against it. Let me advance to 2003. After a few months of being blessed to become the youngest general in the United States Army, I was ordered by the chairman of the U.S. Joint Chiefs of Staff to, on short notice, to, to, to go to the headquarters of United States Central Command and there to report to the commanding general, General Tommy Franks. And I'd served for him twice before. You see, at some point in time in 2002, I saw General Franks walking through the Pentagon. And I said to him, I, General, I feel out of place. I'm in the Pentagon. I'm in the staff here. I'm not in the fight. And you're all fighting a war in Afghanistan. If there's anything I can do, just call me. Gentlemen, be careful what you ask for, because you just might get it. And I got it. I got it in the uh, early part of 2003 with this order by the chairman, go now. And within two days, I was headed to the Central Command headquarters, abandoning my duties there in the joint staff. I was working for the chairman at the time and went and reported to General Franks. And he wanted me to be his operations spokesperson. So I was going to be the guy out front talking to the press and talking to the international public every day. Within a few weeks, the war started. The war with Iraq began. And every day I was out there. Some of you may have seen me during that point in time. My wife captured all the videos of each one of those press briefings, and to this day I've not been able to look at them. But it was an interesting experience, because there I was as the only U.S. government official routinely talking to the international community. I was being quoted. People were referring to my commentary. Even the Secretary of Defense, Donald Rumsfeld, commented on, well, whatever General Brooks said earlier this morning is what we're going with. I got calls from the White House. I even had women proposing to me. Where were they when I was 20? (laughs) The answer was no for all of them. The pastor said I married up. He's exactly right. I did show my wife all of those, those invitations, though, by the way. I didn't want her to find them by accident and say, what is this? You can't imagine that. When you're associated with television, people think that you're bigger than you are. I had lots of reasons to have a big head at that point in time. But I hadn't forgotten Ranger School so many years before. I hadn't forgotten those important scriptural lessons about the importance of my humility. And I chose instead to try to use the podium as what we call a podium of truth. It just so happened that that podium was the same place we were doing Sunday worship services, by the way. I felt like it had been anointed for me, honestly. And I had been called forward to do that. The people I was talking about who were fighting were my friends. I had just come out of command six months earlier. And the unit that I commanded is the one that seized Baghdad International Airport. The people who were being shot at, the people who were being killed, people who were being wounded were people whose families I knew. And I chose at that time to simply represent them, to speak on their behalf. I had lots of reasons to be humble. I was reminded of the importance of my humility a number of times. I remember as we were ending the time of operations there, I was getting on an airplane. Someone offered to to give me a, a chartered flight back. I said, I don't want to do that. I want to go with the troops that are rotating back. And so I got on the plane that was filled with other troops. And it took a circuitous route. You know, it wasn't a direct flight from Doha, Qatar, which was where we were in the Middle East. Couldn't come directly home. We had to go through Bahrain. Then we had to go through Saudi Arabia. Then we had to go through someplace else and make our way to Atlanta. Then make our way to Dallas. And I just wanted to be one of the troops. 
because I didn't feel like I was doing the fighting. I knew, I knew they were, some of them. As I got on the plane, the stewardess recognized me. And even as I desired to be humble and anonymous, she said, over the intercom, we are so honored to have General Vincent Brooks aboard with us today. Give him a round of applause. And, and everyone did. Then as I sat down in my seat, I was sitting beside two, two men who I discovered were in the United States Air Force. They said, so you're General Brooks? I said, yes. They said, thanks for talking about us. So what are you talking about? We were the ones that dropped the first bombs on Saddam Hussein's headquarters that first night. We were the B-1 bombers. Their name is not known. No one came over the megaphone for them. What a reminder of why it is that I should be humble. This was a long way from sixth grade in the cowardly line. You know, having to stand up in front of the world like that told me that God equips us for what we need to do when we trust in him. When we let him put us where he wants us to be. He will overcome our shortcomings, our deficiencies, and turn them into strengths for him. We have to let him do that. We've got to let him order our steps. I got back to Washington, D.C., returned to the Pentagon, re-entered the Joint Staff with the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs, and after the initial warriors were allowed to come back, you know, I'm talking about the ones that I'd served with that led the assault into Baghdad, they came back about four months later, and they were tired. But a couple of them had, had a reason to come to Washington, and I heard they were coming, so I said, can we meet for dinner? These are my friends. We had just served together as commanders. And I was so proud of them for what they did. And so we met at a Lebanese restaurant right across the street from the Pentagon. And as we went in there, you know, these, are, these are the guys themselves who were commanding the operation that went in and seized all that in, in, in Iraq. Okay? And it was, as a friend of mine called, it was stand up and clap work. It really was. Whether you agree that they should have been there or not, that's a different point. But once they're sent there, the work they did was remarkable. And they lost some people as they were doing that work that they were ordered to do. And so there we met. We were sitting down at dinner. And I was so thankful to be with them. I see a commotion off in the background. And it's the, the wait staff and the owner now having a conversation. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm starting to get that feeling like, oh, Lord, please don't have them come single me out when I'm with these warriors. But that's what happened. And so over to the table comes the manager. Are you General Brooks? I felt like melting into my chair. I said, yeah, yeah, I am. He says, we're so honored to have you in our restaurant tonight. The people who did the fight are sitting right there. And so I said, this is who actually did the fighting. I was just talking about them. And he thanked them also for being there. But they were unknown. What a good reason to be humble. It doesn't matter where you are in life. If you've been exalted, you have a reason to be humble about being in that position. You have a privilege to serve somebody else from that position. I'm telling you, man, Satan will try to knock down anything good that you set up. It doesn't matter what it is. If it's good, if it's a relationship that's good, if it's an outcome that's good, he's going to try to find a way to knock it down, especially if you're a believer. Anything that's positive, Satan will try to knock down. The more glorifying it is to God, the more attractive it is to Satan. Remember that. And I've certainly seen that. And he maneuvers through any vulnerability. He does. I found that the extreme visibility wasn't what I wanted. But it helped me, it caused me to lose my anonymity, which I preferred. It caused me even to begin to lose contact with my true persona, who, who I really am. Because everywhere I'd go, someone would recognize me for that and didn't know anything else about me. And I didn't like that at all. And I think that Satan recognized that and tried to use it. I even began to lose some of my prestige with my fellow general officers. You know, I was still a pretty young general, but generals actually rate each other. It's something we do. It's a peer rating to make sure that we're not only observed by people looking down on us and think we're doing great work, but people looking up on us also who see everything else. 
and people around us, our peers. And I began to lose some esteem among my fellow generals, even though I was trying my best to be humble. I think Satan was using envy and jealousy in others to try to bring me down so that I couldn't continue to serve God. But I know how that works. I know that this is spiritual warfare. There was no doubt in my mind that's what was going on. Unfortunately, during that time, being back in the Pentagon, I felt the same way. I was not in the fight. I felt like I was in the wrong place. Of course, God put me where he wanted me to be, but that's not how I felt at the time. And I remember also that we had strife in my family at the same time. I had a very close family unit. My parents, my siblings, their spouses, my wife, her family. We're all very, very close. And things began to come apart inside of our family. Our relationships began to get strained. We were under attack. We were under spiritual attack. We knew that that's what that was. Of course, we were a family of faith and it kept us going, but not without some damage over a period of time. The evil one was moving. But so was God. God was maneuvering his angels also at that very same time. In 2003, late 2003, I remember going down an escalator in the Pentagon. And at the bottom of this escalator, I was about to exit the building. I see a friend coming in the opposite direction through the turnstiles and heading toward the escalator. Who is it? Brett. My same friend from Ranger School. Now, there's lots of people living in, and working in the Pentagon on a given day. That I would run into that person. Didn't, I didn't miss the, the reality of why that happened. Especially when he said, Vince, how you doing? We hadn't seen each other about 10 years at that point. I said, I'm doing okay. I really wasn't. I was actually feeling pretty depressed at that point in time. Feeling a little bit lost. And he said, have you heard about the Flag Officer Fellowship run by a group called Christian Embassy, which is a subsidiary of the Campus Crusade for Christ. Well, I'd heard of Campus Crusade, but I hadn't heard of these other ones. Have some of y'all heard about Campus Crusade? Heard about Crew, they call it now? This particular program was a fellowship that met in several places. They would meet in the White House, they would meet on Capitol Hill, and in the Pentagon and simply make it possible for believers to come together and spend some time sharpening each other, like as iron sharpens iron, and to spend time in fellowship in the midst of all the hubbub that goes on in a given day in Washington. I was first a little bit hesitant, but then I realized that who was it was telling me? It was my brother Brett who'd, play, who'd prayed for me before, who I just happened to run into because God put him there, and I decided to step out on faith and join this group, and join that Flag Officer Fellowship, how important it was to me. You know, while we were in there, this Flag Officer Fellowship began to build me up. I felt strong again because I was in the company, mostly of other men, but there were some women in there as well. And we were standing in the gap for each other. We would pray for each other in this session. We would break bread together, and then we'd go off and do our various things in the world, and look forward to the next time to come back together. And so that we did. There had been a video produced of this program that Christian Embassy ran. And they wanted to renew that video. I saw the video. It had a series of uh, military officers and civilians who were part of Christian Embassy. who benefited from it. And they simply talked about it. So I said, well, okay, there can't be any harm in doing that. I mean, and oh, by the way. God blessed me with this experience of Christian embassy. I'm not going to be afraid to testify. And so I did. I did. That would come back in a different way at a later point in time. You know, in many ways, I felt like I'd been pulled back from the brink. The brink of self-destruction. The brink of destruction in my family. Because God moved just in time. And sent someone right into my presence just when I needed them. And then Satan kicked it up a notch. So let me say a little bit more about this spiritual warfare and how it unfolded for me. And stay with me. I don't have much longer to go, but I do want to share some more of these stories with you. 
In 2006, I arrived in combat. Okay, I was finally in the fight. Man, I'm telling you, be careful what you ask for. You might get it. Okay, so I'm finally in the fight. Now on the front lines in Baghdad, in the heart of the problem spots that we had in Iraq at the time, during the time of what is now called the surge. So we were the main focus of the surge during that period of time. And just as I arrived in combat to do that duty, almost two years after I participated in that video, I suddenly got a message that I was under investigation for participating in that video. It was a remake of a previous one. Surely there couldn't be anything wrong with that. But somebody decided that that was a violation. It was actually a group called the Military Religious Freedom Foundation. That's a terrific name. But it was more about freedom from religion than freedom of religion. And so they complained that these government officials, including four of us who were in uniform, that we had inappropriately and illegally endorsed this private organization. In fact, this foundation went on to call us American Al-Qaeda, that we were violating the Constitution, that we needed to be court-martialed. And they called for that and insisted there would be some action. So the Defense Department Inspector General took it for action. And that's how I found out that I was under investigation. It was when the news releases came out. No one told me. Here I am in combat trying to serve my country in a very difficult time in a very difficult place. And Satan is attacking. Well, this story would go on for several years. You know, I, uh, I found that when you're in the middle of a spiritual battle, just like in a physical battle like we were there, you don't know if you're winning or losing. The middle of a battle feels terrible. You can't tell. Even if you are winning, it doesn't feel so good. There are losses, there are crises, there are things that are happening all the while around you. And given that physical danger that we had and the physical challenges of trying to win at that time and mounting losses every single day and the extra burden of the investigation, I knew that I was under heavy warfare at that point in time. There were moments of great darkness that I experienced during that time, witnessing man's unbelievable cruelty. It is so hard to imagine that humans can do these kinds of things to one another. But I saw it. I witnessed it. I tried to stop it where I could. Sometimes I was just too late. I saw the suffering of innocence. I saw the losses of fellow warriors. And I knew that with each one of those, a family was being shattered. Every one of those losses, the innocence, the warriors on the other side, our fellow warriors, every single one of them was a shattered family, and Satan was enjoying all of that. It was all good for him. We were trying to turn around all the rampant death and destruction of everything that was civilized, trying to protect life, to provide clean water, sewage, getting trash off the streets, making a safe place for children, making room for legitimate business, protecting religious practices, even ancient Christian traditions, Introduced by Doubting Thomas himself, the Apostle Thomas established churches in Iraq, and they still worship in Aramaic there. And we were trying to protect all of that. It was sacred. This is the same place where Abram began his journey to become Abraham and arrive at the land of Canaan. This is the same place where Ezra and Ezekiel and Jonah all fulfilled their purpose. This is the same place that God sent angels into the fiery furnace. The very same place is where we're doing this work. And we didn't miss this. That's not what meets the policy idea, but that's what meets the idea of a believer who's serving there. That we had much to do, sacred work in a sacred place. And we were fighting on many different fronts. Religious and sectarian zealots, corruption, and on and on. Daily life was just a stark reminder of how wide open the spiritual warfare domain was at that point in time. And how often did I hear in my mind that scriptural warning 
that Paul shares with the Ephesians that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of the world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. I could hear that constantly in my mind, and it was so true. These were dark times, like the 10th of October, 2007. I was in the dining hall, you know, back in the old days, you used to call it a mess hall. Now we're more civilized, so we call them dining halls. And this was just a big warehouse that we had tables and things inside of, and we had contracted cooks, so they did a good job for us. And you could feed about 1,000 at a time inside of this, this, this place. It was in the evening time on the 10th of October, and I was finally getting to enjoy a piece of chocolate cheesecake. I had been missing this cheesecake. I hadn't seen it for several months, and they had cheesecake that night. And I was just through my first bite, and I heard this, and, 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 incoming, incoming, incoming. So there's a sound of an alarm that goes off when there's a missile or a rocket in the air, and it warns the entire camp that you should take cover. I was going to eat my cheesecake. <laughs> so I took another bite, and I heard impacts that are happening on the base. <laughs> Boom, boom. And I was looking around to see how everyone was going to react because they're also looking at me. I'm a leader. I'm a general sitting inside of this dining facility with everybody else. And I want them to be calm. So I kept eating. Took another slice of that cheesecake. I wanted that cheesecake. And then, pow! A big explosion right outside of the door. We had troops who were standing in line to come in. And one round, one missile counted. Seventeen had been fired. One of them counted. And it hit right in the midst of where these troops were standing, in the dark. A few seconds later, of course, that that rang our chimes inside of there. That made people get under the table at that point in time. And then within a few seconds, I heard people yelling, medic. And into the dining facility, they began to bring their wounded friends. We now had blood on the floors in the dining facility, and we're doing immediate first aid. 30 had been wounded in one second, like that. I went with several of them to the aid station. One of them I transported to my own vehicle because we were still waiting for ambulances. With that many wounded, you need anything you can get to get people moving. So I took one of the wounded in my own vehicle and drove them straight over to the, the aid station. And then I stayed with those who were on the table as they were doing their work, and I prayed with them. Prayed for them, really, because they couldn't pray for themselves at that point in time, the condition they were in. Two of them were really severely wounded, and they didn't make it. One of them, I was holding his hand, calling his name, Sam. Stay with us, Sam. Lord, please protect Sam. And he had the smallest of wounds, a pierced side. I couldn't help but think of our Lord. Always there's a small piercing on his side. And for him, it meant death because it had gone in and pierced his aorta. And we were trying to do all we could to save him. All the medical officials were doing what they could. We even found a faint pulse. And at that point in time, a helicopter was coming in to do evacuation. I helped to carry the litter. I, I was one of the corners on carrying the, the litter to the helicopter and putting Sam Pearson aboard. But he and Lillian Clemens, and they have names, didn't make it that night. He and she were at different stages of their deployment. Lillian Clemens was about to go home in a matter of days. And Sam Pearson had just gotten there. And they're gone. And sadly, during that time of the surge, just under my headquarters alone, I was the deputy commander of this group, a division headquarters, we lost 450. 450 beautiful young men and women serving their country. That many shattered families. There were dark times. There were dark times inside of all this. At this point, I'd been in Iraq for more than a year. The deployments were normally a year, but the surge meant we were going to stay longer. And we didn't know how long that was going to be. Our families, we couldn't tell when we were going to come home or if we would come home. All the while, oddly enough, I had been selected for promotion to two-star general. Because I was a one-star general at the time. I had been selected in early 2006 before I even deployed. And yet, because of the Christian Embassy video, I'd been under investigation and suspended for promotion for over a year 
at that point in time. I trusted God to order my steps. I knew that he would work it all out. But I tell you, it was taking a toll on me and on the others. And there was no doubt in my mind that my soul was in spiritual warfare at that point in time. When it was finally over, I found that my public notoriety that came from those few years earlier when I was the dapper dude from Doha, as they called me, because of that, the visibility multiplied the effect of having been called out. It multiplied the humiliation. Two of the generals that were in the video, there were four, four generals in there, and there were a bunch of civilians also, but only the generals were brought up on charges because we were in uniform, and therefore you could associate the government with us even though the others were in key positions of responsibility, but they were in civilian clothes. Two of the generals were Air Force, and they chose to leave the service. They were strong believers. They were brothers. They chose to leave the service. The two Army generals, myself and one other, chose to stay in and let it run its full course. And I'll talk about that in just a second. I came back to Fort Hood, Texas, right up the road from us here, in December of 2007. I had already celebrated two birthdays in Baghdad, and I was blessed to have been able to have a birthday. It could have been celebrating my funeral. I didn't take that for granted. I had been selected by the Army to command that same unit that I was just serving with after we got back. And in January of that year, a month after returning, my boss moved on to another assignment, and I was placed in command at the orders of the Army. However, because the investigation was still going, four months later, I had to drink a very bitter cup. I had to come out of command. Had to relinquish that command. Unfortunately, because I had not been confirmed by the Senate, we couldn't presume any action they were going to take. And even though the Army was with me, there was one individual in the Department of Defense. I won't name him. I've forgiven him. But I also know that he didn't win. God did. But he had chosen that my response to the investigation, even though the investigation was complete, my response to the investigation wasn't contrite enough that I hadn't shown sufficient humility in my responses. He made that personal decision and made it personal for me. And so he refused to forward the recommendation for promotion through the Secretary of Defense to the White House. And I had to come out of command. So all of a sudden now, my career was at a halt, dead stop. There wasn't a position for me. Thankfully, they made one for me right there at Fort Hood. I didn't lose my faith during this point in time. I, I, that was all I had, but it was a bitter cup to take. You know, even as time went on, the others who were in the, the video, the civilians and military, were allowed to advance, and my name had been separated from them. And this person held it until the very last day of that administration. The guy who held it was the last member of the Department of Defense who was a political appointee, the last one to leave his position. And he held it all that while. I'll tell you, brothers, it's so important when you're in the middle of something to never lose hold of God's hand. Because if you do, you're lost. You need to be searching for him and finding it and hanging on to him all the while as he goes through. He's going to be there, trust me. I always knew that there were men and women of faith who were out there, and, and God kept putting them into my life. So that's how I knew he was still there, that he was with me. I wasn't sure whether the army was with me. I didn't know if there was anything I could do to try to affect this. I didn't know if there's something I should have been doing. It was having an effect on my wife, my mother-in-law, who was attending here at, at CLC. My parents, all of them who were supporting me so fully. But we couldn't make it move. One of those messengers that God sent was a guy named Hondo Campbell. He was a great warrior. He was a four-star general in charge of all of the forces of the U.S. Army inside of the continental United States. And he was a strong believer. 
One day I had the privilege of being at a conference at his headquarters in Georgia. And afterwards, he brought several of the leaders, some of the generals, some of the family members, some of the senior civilians to his house. And he singled me out and and he said to me some tremendous words of encouragement. He reminded me from Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season, in due season, we will reap if we do not give up or if we faint not. What powerful words, what reassurance he gave me at that point in time. What an uplift came from another brother who I never expected to be that. Hondo Campbell was the kind of general who was unashamed to be a Christian. And he never hid the fact that he was a believer in anything he did. Even though Satan was on the march at this point in time, it was clear to me that the battle was not mine to fight. It was God's. And he was about to counterattack. And it was beautiful. In January of 2009, a new administration came in. A new person filled that bureaucratic position. And the very next day, the nomination moved from the Pentagon to the White House and on from the White House to the Senate. And the Senate confirmed it in rapid order, without issue. I received a phone call. I remember watching this on TV because you can see these kind of things happen on C-SPAN. It was after midnight in April of 2009. The Senate had had a very long day. And they did their executive session at the end And I heard my number called out by the Senate Majority Leader. And then the acting president of the Senate says, without objection, is so ordered. It was that simple. After all those years, it was that simple. Within a few hours, as soon as everyone came to work, it was about 6.30 or 7 in the morning, I got a phone call. And it was from the Secretary of the Army calling me directly to tell me, Congratulations, you've been confirmed, and you now are clear for promotion. Brothers, here's how God works. That secretary was one of the men in the video <laughs> who had been cleared and came, became the secretary of the Army in the interval. God is on the march. He has his warriors already in position. He had this leader now, more powerful than he'd been before, in a position to notify me. And it wasn't just the Secretary of the Army who told me. It was a brother who told me that I was clear, that God was winning. It had been years at this point in time. This is April 2009. I'd been on the list since 2006. Within a few hours that afternoon, my current commanding general, a three-star general up at Fort Hood, who was commander of Fort Hood, Lieutenant General Rick Lynch, who's also a brother of faith, held a promotion ceremony for my wife, Carol, and I. My Texas family was able to drive up from Austin and witness it in person. My Virginia family made it to the Pentagon in time to be able to see it by video teleconference. And all of these people in the room, on the video and beyond, who had worn out their knees praying for God to work a miracle in this situation, for it to come out in a way that glorified God, they got to witness the blessing as it occurred. What a great day it was. What a great day it was to be part of that. After all that I'd been through, the Lord was with me, and there was no doubt in my mind that he was. I moved on within a few days to Fort Riley, Kansas, to take command of the 1st Infantry Division. In other words, I had been given a chance to do it again, a second chance at a division command. And guess who came to officiate the ceremony? General Hondo Campbell a true believer who wasn't ashamed of his faith. And he was unashamed about it in his remarks before the assembled public and also the troops on the field. There was no doubt that he was a believer that day. This was all a reflection of God turning it all around. Everything that Satan had built up to try to block what God wanted me to do, God had turned it back around to his glory. What a beautiful thing it was. God was on parade that day in 2009, and to him be the glory without a doubt. I want to bring this long story to a close. There are several more milestones that uh, mark God's providence along the way for me from that time in April 2009 up until the present time. The spiritual warfare continued 
to be sure. It wasn't over at that point in time. It was just a beautiful counterattack that had happened. Satan also counterattacked a few more times, and God turned each time into victory. Let me give you an example. Commanding a division in 2010 meant going back to combat, which we did that year. And I could see the progress that had been made since 2007 in Iraq, but I could also see the hand of the evil one trying to tear it all down. It was still ongoing. The darkness was still there. I remember one day in Thanksgiving 2010, you know, we have a lot to be thankful for, brothers. Doesn't matter what's happening in your life. Thanksgiving is a time, but it's also a condition, a condition of Thanksgiving, being thankful. But that day in 2010, I was now commanding general, so I'm, I'm in my helicopter. I'm flying all over southern Iraq. That's the area I was responsible for. It was an area about the size of from Austin down to Corpus Christi, over to Beaumont, up to about as far as Marshall, coming back across to Waco, and then back to Austin. It was a pretty big area. And we had troops scattered all over that. And I wanted to get to as many remote locations as I could to serve Thanksgiving meal to those troops who were so far from home and away from a main base. And I happened to have the chief of army chaplains with me. So I had another brother traveling with me in the helicopter. He's a two-star general in charge of all of our chaplaincy, all of our religious support and services throughout the United States Army. And together we flew. We weren't going to eat until we got to the end when we came back to our base in southern Iraq. And then we would eat after we served there also. And as we were coming into land, I heard a radio call come over. It was a routine communication, but in the background from the operations center, I could hear that same old sound. Bap, 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 bap. Incoming, incoming, incoming. And the alarm goes off while there's a missile or a rocket in the air. And it wouldn't stop. It just kept going and going and going. My pilot said, sir, we can't land. The airfield is under attack. Okay, and it's still going, still going, still going. Finally, it stops for just a few moments. I say, put this thing down. We go in and land. My driver was sitting there on the airfield. He'd been under attack, but he stayed right there at his post. Quickly got over to the vehicle and drove to the dining hall where one round had hit. I was expecting the same sort of thing that I experienced in 2007 on that bad October day. As we got to the dining hall, ABC News was already in there, by the way. We'd had them with us as they were seeing how troops celebrate Thanksgiving. And that was part of how they celebrated. It was under fire. When we got there, Thanks be to God, not one person had been hurt. There had been 36 missiles fired onto the base. 36. Not one person had been hurt. I knew that I was on the, on the right side at that point in time, that Satan was trying to topple even a moment of thanksgiving, and he couldn't do it. That God had protected us and hedged around us and protected us. And I, I'll tell you, when God hedges around us, Not even anything can stand against it. Hell, Satan, no one can penetrate that hedge that God puts around us. And also the hedge is put around us by our brothers. Well, I faced promotion for three-star in 2011, three-star general. I had to go through that confirmation process all over again. I expected that to be a negative experience. But there was no mention of the Christian embassy video. There were no hindrances, and it proceeded in a very smooth fashion. It was clear at that point in time that all I was going to get from that Christian embassy was blessings. That's all that was left over. God had already turned it around and swept it away. General Hondo Campbell, whose name I've already mentioned a few times, retired in 2010, but he was still engaged in providing mentorship and senior advice to some of the still-serving leaders and generals. The other army general who was in the video that I said he stayed in, he went on to command a division in combat and then went on to become a three-star general and ultimately became one of the longest-serving generals in the army, retiring just in 2018 with 43 years of service. God doesn't, doesn't do things small. He does things big, and Satan loses every time. 
This is God showing that if you stay with him, he'll stay with you. What a blessing it was. What a blessing. I got promoted to four-star general in 2013, once again without any issues or hindrances. My reputation with my peers had been fully restored. Humility had led to be being exalted again and again and again. I was still serving long after I thought I was going to be finished. On a trip to Korea in 2014, I ran into General Hondo Campbell, retired. And he was a true Korea expert. He'd served there a number of times through his career and was still providing advice there. And he actually put together a thick compilation of his notes about everything that needed to be fixed on the Korean Peninsula. Everything from the situation with North Korea, the organization inside, and it was an amazing script. And he gave that to me in 2014. My job was in Korea at the time. I was responsible for everything in the Indo-Pacific region, all Army forces there. But he was showing the way as to what needed to be done. In 2015, I announced my intent to retire. I was going to retire and in the summer of 2016, come on down here to Austin, live a good life in retirement with my wife, Carol, and with my sister, Robin, sister-in-law, Robin, who attends Christian Life Austin, my mother-in-law, Marion, who at that time was ill. I was in assisted living already. And I promised Carol I would get her close to, to her mother and to her family, that it was time for her to receive the benefit of wherever we were going to be posted. Right about that time, Literally a month later, after I announced my intent to retire, Satan attacked. I was diagnosed with cancer. I came to church here, by the way, during that time. I happened to come through for a visit, and Pastor Rex, you laid hands on me, and you prayed for me in the sanctuary. And I'm still grateful that you did that. This is standing in the gap, standing in the gap for another brother. What a blessing it was. I know you still remember that as well, so God bless you for doing that. My surgery was supposed to occur in January of 2016. I did my last trip, and I was back in Hawaii where my headquarters was, and the Secretary of Defense, Secretary Ash Carter, happened to be there. He was the only one standing between my retirement authority and execution. We were expecting to be retired four months later. And he said, Vince, the president and I want you to still serve, and we need you to go to Korea to take command of the dangerous situation there. How do you say no to that? First, I'd been given the privilege of continuing to serve. God put me there, and I didn't believe anything like this was accidental, so I stepped out on faith, and I said yes. In doing so, I had to shatter my wife's dreams and desires. She was devastated. Because I promised her that she could be close to her mother, that meant that I would go to Korea unaccompanied. She would stay here in Austin. And I would serve over in Korea during a very dangerous time, 2016 to 2018. I didn't know how long it would be at that point in time. I was in inpatient recovery at Walter Reed where I had my cancer surgery. And while I was there, you know, I was looking forward to getting to Korea and having advice of someone like Hondo Campbell. He died while I was in rehabilitation. I didn't get to say goodbye to him. Satan can take people out of our lives too. Now, I believe that God blessed him with everything he did, and God's timing was the timing that happened. But Satan uses God's timing to try to separate us from him. To make us wonder why, how could this happen, God? He was only 68 years old. He was a special forces officer. He did plenty of push-ups. How could this happen? But he was gone. Within weeks of coming out of inpatient rehabilitation, I had to stand another hearing. This time, I had to do it in person. My name didn't go before the Senate. My body did. Had to sit before... Senator McCain and the Senate Armed Services Committee, with each one of them asking me questions for two hours. That was not a good thing for someone who had just had their prostate removed to have to go through. Brothers, if you haven't checked your prostate, you ought to. Come talk to me about it sometime. (laughs) Got to stay healthy, pay attention to it. 
It's going to affect all of us. But that wasn't a good situation to be in for two hours without a bathroom break at all during that time. But God's timing was perfect. The devil tried to hinder my way into Korea. There were all sorts of challenges that happened during that time. The illness, the death of Hondo Campbell, having to to devastate my wife, uh, reversing flow on retirement actions. All those things had to be done. And it was so urgent that I get to Korea quickly because of the deteriorating situation. I got word of the confirmation while I was in Japan on a trip from my headquarters. And I got orders from the Pentagon, don't come back to your headquarters in Hawaii. Proceed from Japan straight to Korea, relinquish command of your current command, and take command tomorrow. Didn't you have a chance to go home? I think Satan was trying to see how much I could handle. God is the one who tests us to see how much we can handle. He knows exactly what we can handle. He knows he'll be in there for anything we can't. But Satan will try to see if he can use that in a way that makes you go, God, I'm finished with you. Why would you let me go through this? That never entered my mind. It was just a matter of God helped me through this, and he did. Through all of that chaos, all that turmoil, all that happened during that time, God was with me, and he helped me to get through it. And we got through everything else. You know, it was interesting having Hondo Campbell gone from a physical sense, but he'd given me those papers a couple of years earlier. God knew what the timing was going to be. I had a script for everything I needed to do before I even got there. And I took consultation from that. And thanks be to God, we were able to turn things in the opposite direction. Pastor calls me that, that crazy-haired guy up in North Korea, the bad haircut. We were actually able to turn from being on the brink of war, which we were, to being on the brink of peace. To God be the glory on that. We can be his instruments of peace and still be warriors. I know what uh, Jabez was feeling when he asked of God, oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory. You've heard this. You've heard the prayer of Jabez. That your hand would be with me. That you would keep me from evil. That I may not cause pain. And God granted him what he requested. God had enlarged my territory over and over and over again. His hand was with me and there was no doubt in my mind. And I gave him praise for everything that happened and that I'm doing that right now. I could talk to you about something else, but I just want to praise the Lord for what he has done in my life in these conditions of spiritual warfare. I knew that time that God who can turn around through the Lord Jesus as he appeared to Saul of Tarsus on the Damascus road. If he can turn Saul of Tarsus, he can turn the guy with the bad haircut too. And he did. And he did. You just have to believe truly that God can do all things and that anything that's happening to us does truly work together for good. If you love him and are called according to his purpose, it's true. It's true. So brothers, let me boil this down now just into four quick lessons. And this is where I'll close. These have been some war stories. It's just my journey. And I hope that it's connected with you in some way that uh, touches you in your journey. But let me just leave these four lessons with you real quick. First, God calls us, men, to be reconciled with one another, to be of one accord, and to be reconciled to God. 2 Corinthians says this, 2 Corinthians 5.20, says it this way, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. I want you to be reconciled yourself starting here today, starting right here in this sanctuary. I want you to clap your hands if you want to be reconciled by the Lord. Amen. Amen. Lesson number two for men. Satan does not like it when you're doing the good work God called you to do. And he will seek to knock you off course, to break your connection with God, and to guide you in the opposite direction which serves only Satan's purposes. Be on the alert, brothers. Be on the alert. Be looking for it because it's coming. He's going to do it. He's very consistent about that. And don't be surprised when it begins. At that point, instead, redouble your efforts to keep your spiritual connection to God and let him fight your battle. And he will. And he will win. Check your connection today, brothers. Check your connection. 
Make sure that you know where you are relative to God. Don't let Satan intrude further into your life. He may be already into your relationship. He may already be into your work. He might be into your hobbies. He might be into anything that you've contemplated or are doing. And when that happens, you need to just pray for God's protection and his relief from those things. Not a one and done task, folks. You can't just do that one time. Say, God, please protect me right now. You have to be as persistent as Satan is surely going to be. You got to be after this all the time. Never lose your connection to God most high. Satan only wins in a forfeit. If you forfeit your connection to the most high, you give him a victory. If you don't do that, he doesn't ever win. Brothers, if you want to make sure that there's no forfeits, turn to somebody and say, no forfeits. No forfeits. That's right. The third point. Men need each other. Pastor Brad was right. It's hard for us to open up sometimes. But men, we need each other. We need each other. It doesn't matter where you are, how low you feel, or how lost you feel. God knows exactly where you are. The thing is to be courageous enough to open up to him and to open up to another brother. Be courageous enough to stand up and step into the gap like those friends of mine in the ranger school did so far back and like Hondo Campbell did and like so many others did along the way. You got to reassure one another of God's presence in your life and in theirs. Reassure them of God's awesome power and his ultimate victory. If you do that, you're going to find that you'll be successful. Turn to somebody and say, I need you. That's right. You need each other, brothers. You need each other. The last thing I want to say to you tonight. Number four, never give up. Never give up. No matter where you are, how you feel, God knows exactly where you are. He doesn't need any help finding you. It's on you to connect to him. He's always ready for your worship. He's always ready for your praise. He's always ready for you to acknowledge his power in your life. If that's where you are, if you can't tell where you are, whether you're winning or losing, call on him. Just look around and see the angels that he's put into your path and truly believe that all things work together for good. According to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. In all your ways, In all your ways, in all your ways, acknowledge him and let him direct your path. He will, but you got to let him. And if you do that, you'll win. I want you to say, never give up. Say it again. Never give up. Say it one more time. Never give up. Brothers, that's what's on my heart tonight. Thank you for your patience as we went through all this. And I, I hope that it soothes something in your heart and your spirit. Thank you, Pastor Rex. Thank you, Brad. Thanks for giving us a church home to love and serve the Lord. God bless you all. Thank you.